0: Everyone here, I'm Nora. Uh, welcome to another edition of Conversations with Our Priests. Tonight we have back with us the Reverend Dr. Barbara Bobby Patterson and the Reverend Ed Bacon. The topic is Christianity must revise itself or die. Bobby is retired from Emory University, is as an assisting priest at the Church of the Epiphany. In her early years, she focused on the intersection of feminist theory. Women's Embodiment and Body Practices, and Christian Spiritual Traditions. The significance of context and history drew her interest to questions of place and space, environments of human and more than human interactions and thriving. Bobby's writing and teaching in religion and ecology fostered partnerships with the Environmental Sciences Department and Office of Sustainability at Emory. She now serves on the board of the Resilience and Sustainability Collaboratory in the Mind and Life Institute. A nationally recognized expert in engaged pedagogy, she leads workshops on course design and evaluation. She practices and teaches Christian and Buddhist contemplative practices. Her book, Building Resilience Through Contemplative Practice, a field manual for helping professionals and volunteers, integrates contemplative insight with daily life and service. She links experience with heartfelt spirit-born, knowing, and acting in her workshops. Ed's passion is teaching that Jesus embodied a love-based life as opposed to a fear-based existence. He also teaches the oneness of all creation, rethinking Christianity as non-bigoted, science-friendly, interfaith, and grace-based, as well as promoting peace and justice for all, regardless of race, gender, religion, or sexual orientation. He is the author of Eight Habits of Love and has been a guest on Oprah Winfrey's Soul Series and a guest panelist in the Spirituality 101 segment of the Oprah Winfrey Show, Living Your Best Life Series. I wanna welcome you both and thank you for agreeing to be here again tonight. This is going to be an interesting topic and I can hardly wait to hear it as I know everyone else is the same. So, Bobby, if you would lead us with an opening prayer, I would greatly
1: appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm delighted to be here, and especially with Ed, and such hearty thanks to the bookstore. So let's settle ourselves in our chairs, wherever we are, and connect with this incredible gift of the body, incarnate life the holy trinity in flesh. We beckon you, O Christ, already and not yet. May the closeness of your resurrection urge us forward to become the good news in all places with all beings, so that your love continues to change how we understand this place and the future in it, that we may rejoice in fullness when it's no longer already, not yet, but just is. In gratitude, we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. So we can go to it?
1: You can go to it. Tell us why
0: Christianity must revise itself or die.
2: So before I do that, um, hi, everyone. It's so nice to see you all. And thanks, Nora and everybody at the cathedral. Um, When I had run across that, what Bobby reminded me is really an old idea from Jack Spong. He had a book on all of this, but Christianity must revise itself a die or something like that. Anyway, um, Nora said, uh, let's put you with somebody. I said, oh, Bobby Patterson. Bobby Patterson and I are friends of long standing. I prefer that to old friends. And uh, she and I go back to uh, the 70s. And uh, when I was a student at Candler and she was doing all sorts of stuff coming in and out of Candler and Harvard and anyway, um, Bobby has always been a soul friend, soul friend. And I've always been attracted to her earthy Christianity and her unconventional Christianity. She's not a churchy, churchy person. And I love that about her. And she has spoken. I'm the interim rectorate. St. Luke's, and I flunked retirement and uh, have been there for about two and a half years. And uh, I wanted to for her to come and talk with us. And uh, she's this practicing Buddhist and Episcopalian and what else. And uh, I said, Oh, Bobby and I can unpack this in a very hopeful, joyful way, because I'm here to tell you that Christianity is revising itself. It's not that we must, it is happening and it is alive. And a lot of it is alive outside the church and a lot of it is alive inside the church. And uh, Bobby and I are gonna unpack that. So that's my setup. Bobby, yeah. is, that a good, is that a good setup? That's great. That's a great.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things uh, that Ed and I said as we had a conversation before now, and we really look forward to your questions and engaging you, I'm sure you bring insight as well, is that it really is as old as the emergent church, even before the church, the idea of changing, of resurrecting, of recrafting. Uh, One of my favorite areas to study is the mothers and fathers of the desert in Africa. And these were a motley crew out in the desert and they were on search or whatever this Christian story meant uh, in their deepest selves. And by being in Africa during a time when Alexandria, you know, was like the hub of intellectual thought and Islam was present. Egyptian religions were present with ISIS, who Mary resonated quite well with. So the Ethiopian church had an easy message to share. Um, these people were already kind of asking, what does deep prayer mean? And what does it mean for the body? And there is a likelihood that in the trade routes connecting across Asia to China, that the earliest communications of Buddhists and Christians were happening. And we know Evagrius, a great teacher came from Constantinople and they were deeply influenced by Greco-Roman thought, the Stoics, I'm sure you all know this too, but already from the, the very emergent periods of Christianity, there was a kind of bubbling up of what it means to be in love with this mysterious, powerful, Trinitarian force. So I think in my own studies that freedom to move into the creativity of a tradition incarnating itself over and over and over was a great invitation for me especially as a woman in the late 60s and early 70s in college and um, when feminism was beginning its press in its both ugly sides and it's more useful (laughs) I was involved in both of those I'm sure so so that's a beginning Ed it is a beginning history is there it's not new
2: no no yeah exactly and I Bobby can we claim that I think we're still setting the table um because I want to put out another couple of uh dishes uh and then let's dig in and and eat um so, Bobby uh, didn't mention in that she was talking about the the fathers and the mothers and all of that, and we'll get into Buddhism and the power of Buddhism and Buddhist practice for Christians. I, I got onto this uh, Zoom conversation after recording the forum for this coming Sunday with a Buddhist who helped turn a KKK senior executive around from an addiction to hatred because of his practice of breathing and compassion. And we'll get into that. So there's (laughs) there's the Buddhist Christian thing, but let me put one more dish on the table or a couple of dishes. Um, And that's Teilhard de Chardin. And Teilhard de Chardin, a scientist and a theologian, Jesuit paleontologist in China, who understood that there was divine luminosity in absolutely everything, and that a theology, words about God, needed to incorporate what cosmologists were discovering and that we don't live in a three-tier universe, but rather we live in this scientifically electrified series of events that are going on inside our bodies and everything else, and it's all holy. In fact, last two nights ago, um, I was having trouble falling asleep, and found I, I watch YouTube when I'm, you know, that's my sleeping pill. And um, I was watching this TED talk about the smallest building blocks of creation Mm. being electromagnetic fields, energy fields, smaller than a proton. And actually, all the fields that are inside us are part of one big field. And so the field that is vibrating inside your body is also vibrating inside mine. And it's all a part of one and then the final dish that we want to put on the table <laughs> is Bobby and I want to talk about trees.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No.
2: So my, my discovery of forest bathing, the Japanese practice of forest bathing, where you are invited into a forest and actually to communicate and join the communication that's going on between the individual trees in the forest is a real thing. It's a powerful thing. So I think we've set the table, Bobby. Yeah. What dish do we want to partake of first? You want to talk about the mothers and the fathers in the desert, or you want to go to Buddhism?
1: Well, you know, actually, I want to talk a little bit about the, I'm just going to ask, uh, the Buddhism will come, but I'm going to just build on the mothers and fathers in this direction, Ed, so I'm going to stretch that plate into a a serving dish. I love it that practice yeah yeah what brings me to the mothers and fathers is my deep interest in practices and I was thinking Ed and I talked about the kind of gift and I'm betting most of you have had it too where we have relationships with people and they discover that we are people of faith and they are too maybe you knew that going in maybe you discover it but then you begin to share in your friendship some sense of connecting with the different traditions. And for me, a pivotal experience of that connecting with different traditions came through practice when I went to college from Atlanta to Massachusetts and they didn't like that I talked like that. And so they changed my accent. And they, <laughs> many things were changed and much for the good. But my roommate was a garment cutter union father's daughter from Boston. And she really did say pack the car and have a yacht." So we would say, we would try, try to talk to each other. And I was talking like that. And she was talking in a Boston accent. It was tough to hear each other. And I think that's one practice, learning to hear each other. So I'm just going to use the metaphor of that relationship for this world of the way in which God is inviting us into the new. I became a daughter in that family, uh, and I'm still a daughter in that family. And they are kosher, observant Jews. And I was a, a very young, committed Christian. And so I got up early to read my Bible and discovered dad was in, his, was in the room next door putting on his tefillin and, and reading his Bible. Until one morning, he said to me, daughter, he liked to call me daughter, why are you uh, in the other room? And I said, well, dad, I'm, I'm doing Christian stuff over here. <laughs> and he was saying, Okay. You're, this for him was the issue. You're my daughter. We're up praying. Why would you be in a different room? Come into the room with me. And that for me was an opening of, I knew how to change the cabinets for Passover. He asked me to read it at Passover, and I'm sure you have too. Uh, and his brothers were very unhappy with that. Uh, and I just kept my head down and did what my father told me to do and I still find that invitation to practice as so critical for the work of the renewal of the church and practicing across religious traditions in a personal way but I won't go into it now Ed it'll be your turn to serve up some dishes Being a university chaplain for 13 years with 16, 17 different ministries on the campus and learning to be a whole as this is what chaplaincy at a university looks like. And we have to be relationally, theologically connected. Yes, we fought, but it was through our practice that, and I think it's critical to share practices. So that's, That's my little going from the mothers and fathers for whom practice is key.
2: Well, I I couldn't agree more passionately. Um, I've understood that there's interreligion and there's interfaith. And about 30 years ago, a new word came in to play called interspirituality, which brings in the issue of practice spiritual practice together. So you can go to a classroom and study interreligion, study the religions of the globe, and you can have um, partnerships as we did in Pasadena with all of these Jews and Muslims and Hindus. And we're doing uh, actually at St. Luke's with our Morning into Unity monthly prayers for peace, which are led by uh, religious leaders of all those different things. And then there's the business of praying together, the practices together. And once I, after 9 11, I started fasting for Ramadan with my Muslim brothers and sisters. And I did that for 10 years. And I never missed a Yom Kippur at the temple of our rabbi in residence. And so those practices, those interspiritual practices, I think are just, for me, more powerful than just praying with my own co-religionists only.
1: Oh yeah, I deeply agree with that, and I think, um, I think the kinds of things Saint Luke has been doing and Epiphany also can has a real openness toward this kind of shared practice because that's where our daily lives are. Yeah, practices we share, and for me the. Kind of beautiful first easter you didn't go home in those days to (laughs) over something like easter i feel like my students at emory went home every three weeks no matter if they lived in colorado or if they lived in north carolina but we i didn't but i went to church mom knew i was coming to church when i got back from church on the table of this jewish family was the biggest Easter basket I've ever seen. And you'll appreciate, she filled it with chocolate and Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> two, the two things I gave up for Easter. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure she never bought a Coca-Cola before or after. Right. But that practice level is, is so precious. And I guess I just, we could say, Ed, that the practice work and thinking about interspirituality is, I think, a natural invitation to think about the kind of theological, spiritual insights that someone like Tayard has. Yeah. In fact, when you're at the Passover table or at Shabbat or when you're sharing a meal with a Muslim family, and you begin to or during Ramadan you're doing something together you you begin to talk about what it means to think about the presence of the holy in our lives.
2: I'll never forget um I'm sorry say that again.
1: And then you're in theology.
2: Absolutely and that's the way to get into theology is through practice I think. Yeah I mean again when I was in Los Angeles County there was a Methodist brother in Florida who did the horrible thing of, of flushing a Quran in his commode. And it was just one of the most horrific, cruel acts of violence I had ever heard of. And there were so many people who were up in arms. And I said, you know, we're not going to destroy the Quran, we're going to learn about it. So I asked a friend of mine who is an OBGYN, very um, prayerful Muslim to come and talk uh, and teach the Quran. And so before she taught one uh, evening, I was in the seminar room where she was gonna be teaching and I said, Layla, why do you practice Islam? And she said, well, to improve my God consciousness. Mm. And it was so matter of fact And all of a sudden I said, you know, you and I are speaking the same religion because I'm driven to practice Christianity to increase my God consciousness. Mm. So we're on the same page.
1: Yeah. Beautiful, Ed. And, And you're bringing to my mind and heart the kind of I, I, again, if I play with what well, little I know about Taoism, I I've done just a just a little bit. I'm also I've been for years since 1974 an associate of the Society of St John the Evangelist in yeah. Cambridge. Though so I I do I have practiced I have studied Buddhism a long time, but the monks at the society keep Keep me in line. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, once I was at the farm and there was this big, beautiful picture book of Teilhard's work and using galactic pictures and planetary and evolutionary pictures to help think about Teilhard's theology. But I wanted to add to your, the, the kind of story we're telling so far about how the church is invited into the holy space of God's ever creative Yes. Yes. That Teilhard was deeply aware as well of the tectonic plate shifting. Yes. Terrible rubbing and explosion in the mantle of the earth that evolution is also a kind of tectonic crash. And that also means that as you as we share beautiful stories with our Muslim brothers and sisters that I think it was must have been 2000 it might have been 2019 in the spring at Emory we had a community of Palestinian students who really wanted to make a very clear distinct statement about their experience of life with Israel and we have a very strong Jewish community From modern Orthodox to very you know, uh, uh, kind of not even conservative Jews, Reformed Jews, but more left. Um, And it was a very unhappy time and very stressful. And people felt very not heard. People, there were uh, actions done that felt like they crossed the line and a lot of pain. And a first step which didn't fix much of anything was to come together and sit at a dinner table and simply hear everyone's story about what what had happened in the last week. And the stories were everything from the law student who said his family got the notice, Palestinian family, and were thrown out of their house, I have no idea if it's real, to Jewish students talking about their grandparents as Holocaust survivors and our current president is, his father was a Holocaust survivor. So the profound difficulty, the tectonic hitting that there's nothing at that table, but real tension, pain, anger, um, but trying as religious people to shape a human space where we would, with dignity, hear what felt to each one as an absolutely undignified response to who I am and what my people are and what my faith is. And you, you have dismissed it. You have smudged it. Um, and that. so that's part of this work, too, I think. It's not always um, easy work or... It's different hanging in during those times too.
2: I am really grateful that you grounded us in that, Bobby. Um, Teyard introduced, or through uh, his contemporary, Iliadelio, uh interpreter, uh, the whole notion of planetization, which he was a word he used for where we are going, where evolution is taking us. And it is to a religion of the planet where we will have a unifying dynamic without losing our differentiation, which means that you tell your story, I tell my story, they are conflicting narratives, and by telling the story, we have an overstory that unites us without destroying the distinction. And that new narrative, you don't get there without the pain that you just described, that I could feel in my gut. Yeah. My my friend Dan Siegel, who uh, grew up Jewish, and uh, he's a neuroscientist and a psychiatrist, likes to invoke the four S's and how important it is. In moments like that, where traumas are rearing their ugly wounds, and that's exactly what was going on in part in that scenario that you just described, he said that we never can get to a new story that begins to heal our traumas without four S's, that people need to feel seen, Soothed, safe, and secure. And I have found that in my desire for there to be a big tent at St. Luke's and for there to be a big tent in America, that we never will get there without practicing those four S's.
1: Say them again, Ed.
2: To be seen, safe, soothed and thus secure. And I just keep using that lens as a way to understand Jesus. It seems to me that, um, and and Thomas Merton, you know, who is my North star says the issue is not communication, but communion. Uh, It's Maya Angelou saying people are not going to remember what you said or what you did, but how you made them feel. And that's the communion stuff. And I think Jesus really was in communion with absolutely everyone he met, including the people whose tables he overturned. You know, there was still this love going on. I don't know how that fits. Yeah. Bobby, but yeah, no,
1: I, I, what it makes me think about is, Uh, So Merton has that beautiful phrase I really like. And let me see if I can pull it up. Start with what you already know. Uh, Who you already are. Attend that. Go deeper with that. With candor. (laughs) Merton's classic little barbs. Wow. With candor. Yeah. Start with who you already are, what you already know. Go deeper with, attend that, go deeper with that, with candor. And what I was going to say, just to build on your sense of seeing safe, soothed, and secure, is that both Christianity and buddhism and i'm gonna bet money sufism has it and orthodox judaism has it and mystical judaism has it is the practice of creating or of engaging a field of care yeah or you call it a communion of saints yeah in which in your own stillness and your own quiet you simply invite and envision if you shaped a field of care in your imagination kind of where would it be and it might be we'll get to the trees it might be your favorite outdoor space or it might be an altar at saint luke's or it might be your kitchen but a a place you feel secure in and then you allow that field of care the buddhists will call it a benefactor field and you populate it. So of course, Jesus is there, but it may be that your pets are there or a favorite place is there or your uh, is there or Martin Luther King, someone you you deeply draw on for Spiro or Howard Derman or, and that field of care, you learn to practice being in the presence being seen, knowing you're safe, knowing you're soothed, knowing you're secure in a field of care, that compassionate field. And, the, and in both traditions in that field, then with enough kind of allowing that care to emerge, parts of yourself that hide because of their woundedness. Yeah. And what one teacher, a beautiful contemporary Tibetan teacher, and I really, I know more, what little I know, I know more Tibetan Buddhism than anything. But anyway, he he likes to call them beautiful monster. Your beautiful monster. Your beautiful monster will come out in that space. And the idea is to let her have her way. She can roam around. She can throw a fit she can she can't be hitting people but you let her find her own way because the benefactor field can cope with her Mary's there Jesus is there what's what's she gonna do she's gonna kick and scream and fuss and pu- but she's she's getting heard and after a while she begins to feel like she can listen to what the story of love would have her know. And so I think the idea is that until that benefactor field gets relatively stable, Ed, that seen, safe, soothe, secure, it's hard to move forward with interactive work that's gonna stick. Um, that's... Uh, So the interfaith work really requires some preparatory work on our part, at least beginning it. And then what an imagination to be together around the Passover table or around some breaking of the fast in Islam or in Buddhism, breaking a fast after a particular practice to be together and notice that this is a field of care. This is my benefactor field and I can trust and learn so. That's what came to mind
2: when you said this. I love that, Bobby. But you're bringing up the practicality of what we're talking about. We are not here having this conversation about some kind of mental game or new theology or anything like that. We're talking about arriving at a new paradigm that has the power to heal the world. I mean, I think it's I think the stakes are that high for us right now and this benefactor field you're talking about and letting your beautiful monster out Mm -hmm. is really powerful i I was having this conversation with a um, um, psychology professor who's in my multiculturalism peer supervision group and she after the atlanta massacres allowed her 24 student um class to talk about all of what she calls the untangleables in that massacre from sex work to racism to on and on including into the mind of that kid who had been taught by his religion that if you can't control your sexual passions you must kill them and he had externalized that into actually killing people. And these college students were telling my friend that nowhere is there a space in certain conservative religious practices for people just to talk about all of this. And that's what came to my mind when you said the beautiful monster. All of us have this beautiful monster inside of us and we need a space to let it be and to, Let all of its unconventionality um, show itself. And we all need a benefactor field. Mm -hmm. And that is what the communion of saints is about. Absolutely. I
1: was just going to say communion of saints. Absolutely.
2: And and, and that's what we want in our faith communities is a communion of saints, a benefactor field, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: a field of care. Oh, Bobby, you've changed my life. Praise Jesus.
1: No, no, no. It's the one, but I think, you know, uh, Ed, that this is what we're learning in a planetary way as well about forest bathing and about the ecosystems around us. That in fact, they are a communicative, interwoven, in yeah. a factor field. Um, that we really have so little understanding of uh, all levels of creatures and how the biochemistry of that. that, um, I'm in a reading group on campus for the Anthropocene or the Anthropocene, however you want to say it. There's a new book that's just come out called Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Simard and it's the latest book you know it, Nora, and you can maybe get it at the Cathedral Bookstore. (laughs) I don't know, you can get, but it's simply just what you're, you know, uh, this, um, how much science is is now uncovering this intercommunication at the genomic level, at the biochemical level, at the neurological level, at the tactile flesh level of communication that's going on. Uh, we There's so much we don't know about it, but the capacity for those natural communities to communicate across difference is really remarkable. And Nora so says, I'm sorry. Practice just to say, that's a good lead into forest bathing.
2: Oh, it's totally. And God, I'd love to go there. And Nora said, we have to have some questions. So before we do that, though, Nora, I promise you, I'm not going to take much time. Bobby, please spell the last name of that woman who wrote Finding the Mother Tree, because somebody sent me a link of an amazing op-ed piece that she had in the New York Times last week that apparently blows your mind. And it is a kind of a summary of this book.
1: I bet. I bet. It's showing up everywhere, like in The Guardian and and uh, she's been at this a long time, I think. I don't really, know, I don't know. The last name, I believe, is S-I-M-A-R-D.
2: That's my understanding. Smart. So if anybody Googled Simard.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, check it out, somebody on your phone. and Check out
0: NPR also. She just did an interview on NPR this week.
1: Ah. The book just came out. It's in, I have it in my Kindle, so you can it's there.
2: Love it. So Nora, shall we, I mean, we can pause here and see if there are questions, right?
0: If there are questions, please join in. Um, If not, um, just put something in your chat box and you guys can continue for about another 10 minutes.
2: So we will, uh, since Bobby so generously referred to forest bathing, I really do want to go there and say, And please pardon me for insulting anybody's intelligence, but uh, the Japanese discovered that there were some not so good indicators of the health of the Japanese population. And in terms of obesity, diabetes, hypertension, you know, all the things that come with stress, uh, stressed sick is a way of talking about it. And they uh, decided to go into a practice of inviting people to go and literally dwell in established forests where the trees are communicating with one another through mineral showers on one another to both enforce, reinforce and warn against threats. And that apparently when human beings walk and let those minerals bathe us that it really helps us with obesity diabetes hypertension so they got this thing going where they would uh, authorize and certify people and there's a wonderful woman here in atlanta who is certified and my wife hope and i went on a forest bathing experience with her at the carter center and it moves from with five invitations, um, not demands, commandments, but invitations. And one of them is to actually tell the forest the deepest thing that's going on with you right now and to wait for the forest to respond. And the last invitation is a Japanese tea ceremony. Mm. And it was just an amazing thing. Mm. We our parish went to kanuga and I led, you can't call it forest bathing if you're not certified, so I called it a forest meditation, and 50 of us went out in the rain and did that, and I took a question about our, who to hire for director of music, and the trees responded back to me, and it was just really wonderful, and so there's that. Okay, there's a wonderful question in the chat. May I read it? Yeah. I am first a Christian while having difficulty with my practice as an Episcopalian. I'm now a Christian in a country that has become politically unstable while priests try to make sense with political sermons. Woo, Steve, way to go, man. why don't you go deep on us here? Savabi, so, you want to respond? I, I don't see
1: that question, so um... oh,
2: it's to me. I'm sorry. It wasn't the public. It's to you, (laughs) Ed. I've just violated. I'm sorry. I just violated (laughs) Zoom etiquette. Please, Steve, please forgive me. I violated uh, Zoom etiquette.
1: No, 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 no. That's fine. Just, um, I think, start with it and let me listen because it's a very thick and important question.
2: It really is. So I'm assuming he's referring to this country as the one that has become politically unstable, yes. And while priests try to make sense with political sermons, and I have uh, some history here with political versus partisan. um, And I think that uh, preachers must preach both the big tent, which is the kingdom of God, as well as what life would be like if love were in charge, and uh, that's a that's a tough one, but but preachers who do only the political policy and partisanship just distract us from getting at that. It's about hello, the- hello Ed. Hey Steve.
0: Um, thank you for speaking to that, and I just wanted to add is uh, I'm recovering from kind of a dark place. And I'm on a good track right now thinking of myself as a Christian whose mission is to be an agent toward bringing the kingdom of God closer to this secular plane that we're in. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. And Steve, I hear you um, and feel you. And I want to say that this I, I love the word kingdom as opposed to kingdom, but you you know what I'm talking about. It is actually this field of care and benefactor field that Bobby was talking about, writ large, but it has to come from the preacher's heart. You know, I, it seems to me that preachers have a primary responsibility to visit, that field of care and that benefactor field in our spiritual practice every day you can actually feel it when my practice is centering prayer for an hour every morning and i visit it you know i feel it
1: i think along those lines uh yeah there's um i think in in Christian and in other contemplative traditions, Islam as well, there's a sense of the open participation in the levels of life that are tense, that are difficult, that are about politicization, um, about standing up for justice, about engagement, but there must always also be access to, uh, you know, think of that as the waves of the ocean. That's the turbulence of everyday ordinary life. And um, there's a way in which part of our prayer, part of our liturgy, part of our textual study is a way of dropping down to a kind of deeper level, that level below the turbulence of the waves yeah. where we never forget that's the already not yet. Yeah. The joy of Christ's presence, the joy of love, and Steve, the joy you're experiencing, and right now as a kind of in a good place, that without that kind of, without having access to that, I don't think Christ could have gone forward in his own body, and certainly can't now in our bodies. As I totally us,
2: agree.
1: Remember joy. Remember joy, always. It's there.
2: I yeah. have to go do down. Steve put in the chat, thank you for letting me bring this dish to the table. I think you've enriched our feast by bringing that, Steve. I hope that was in some way responsive. Um, and we can stay with that or we can go to uh, to another question. I, I, I just do mm-hmm. want to.
1: I, I want to say one thing, Ed, uh, just because it's, It's a question, but I do think I should have said it anyway. The the teacher who's using this term, beautiful monster, is Tsokni, T-S-O-K, Tsokni, might be J-N-I, the Tibetans and their names, Tsokni Rinpoche, R-I-N-P-O-C-H-E. If you type in something close to what, that T-S-O-K-N-J-I, you'll probably find him. He's a contemporary Buddhist teacher, and he's teaching a lot of the major teachers. And he, as far as I know, is the person who's used a contemporary form, beautiful monster. It's an old, you know, the mothers and fathers would call it demons, your demon in you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and you bring, bring to my mind the whole thing about chaos theory. Um, chaos theory says that there's no, nothing that's intrinsically chaotic. You stay with the chaos and long enough, and it, it emits a pattern. So, what you're feeling as chaotic is actually the beginning of a new pattern. And for us to look at this pandemic as a portal to a new pattern of human existence has been very hopeful to me, if we understand, and I do believe, that Christ is resurrecting in us all the time, not just during tide in the springtime, but Christ is being crucified in us, and is being risen, oh, thank you, Bobby, is being risen all the time, too, so I am a, walk. you and everybody here are walking resurrections. I'm glad you've given us that link that's the link
1: but again it's not you know i think ignatius of loyola would recognize this very well yeah um there are teresa Avila. she says it <laughs> she has that great line where she says "You know, she has this is so beautiful. Think of this, speaking of our interreligious world. Teresa of Avila, you know, has their, her castle. Yeah. With the nine rooms, <laughs> the castle, nine right. layers, you know. So this is the negative of teaching with really brilliant graduate students. So I'm teaching Christian contemplative women course. And I'm teaching this with this amazing graduate student whose field, she's a lawyer, she was a medievalist trained at Brown as an undergrad, but she has married a Muslim man. So she's totally into Islam now and getting a PhD in Islam. And um, so she, we're, te- you know, she's teaching with me and I'm teaching Teresa of Avalon. She says to me, now, you know that they have now discovered that Teresa's writing in the 1400s, I think, maybe 1500s right. and around 1000 or 1100 there is a great Islamic text in that area of Spain where the three religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, were really on a conversational plane. Wow. They were very, Cordoba, uh, they, it was a center. And Jews, uh, what's the great doctor, rabbi? Eshel? No, it's uh, um, in the 1200s, 1400s. Um, he, anyway, he he was also there. It is the interior castle. It's Teresa's castle. Wow. It's probably not that Teresa mimicked it, but it was in the air. There's yep. a castle. Exactly. Of your spiritual life is a castle. It was in the air. But yes. she says, when you go to the first level and open the door, please notice all the reptiles you've brought in with you. <coughs> That's her beautiful monsters.
2: That's wonderful.
1: Just notice the reptiles you brought in with you.
2: Yay, Teresa of Avila. Yeah. So, Nora, how are we doing?
0: Yeah. I think we have about five minutes left, if there's another question. Otherwise, you have five free
2: minutes. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Bobby wants to go watch the hawks or something.
1: That's right. No. (laughs) Yeah.
2: No, yeah, I'm not. Uh... Well, you know, three minutes um, invites me to do appreciations and regrets. I love being trained to end all my meetings with appreciations and regrets as a way of ritualizing. So I really have appreciated this conversation. I appreciate you, Nora, bringing us together. Appreciate all these wonderful folks who've, 25 people who've, tuned in and stayed with us i love having conversations with you bobby
1: oh yeah this is rich like that too i i feel very much the same and i'm grateful for all the people uh who have all of you who've given your time and shared the space with us and yeah for nora and her staff making it happen i'm very excited i think Christianity continues to uh, emerge and evolve and obviously you all are the people along with Ed and the parishes who are bringing it to full life and and I was myself at St. Luke's for quite a while back in the day and so it's really wonderful to see some of you again who I remember well and um, it's great to be back with you.
0: My regret is that we don't have another hour to talk about this.
2: <laughs> we could, we okay. could do it.
0: I, I want to thank you both so much for being with us tonight and for agreeing to do this conversation. Um, you've spoken about many things. Ed, you beat me to the Elio Delio. Okay. So thank you.
2: <laughs> She's coming to... The, the, the cathedral at the next she April. will
0: be here, yes.
2: She's and we do right. have
0: her books, so wow, uh, great. she is fascinating.
2: She's wonderful. She's on to the truth. Um,
0: yeah. I want to thank you for being part of our penultimate conversation. Yes, friends, we only have one more conversation left, and that will be on May 19th, which is a Wednesday. So change your alarms to Wednesday, the 19th, and we will have Horace Griffin, the Reverend Dr. Horace Griffin, and the Reverend, Ka- Reverend Canon Kathy Zappa, who began our conversations with our priest way back last year when the pandemic was new. And they will be discussing a year has come, where are we now? what have we learned and where are we going? So this is going to be very interesting. You will remember the first time was on grief, which was so relevant at the beginning of the pandemic, grieving and loss. So we are really looking forward to having Horace and Kathy with us to do a year and where we are now so thank you all so much for joining us tonight um ed i believe you will be doing a parting prayer for us i'll be
2: happy to yeah that was the deal bobby said i'll i'll open if you'll close ed let us (laughs) pray everybody but thank you
0: again so much for being with us this evening
2: thank you nora a few deep breaths please O God of love, whose love unites absolutely everything, we thank you for this hour of unity, grace, and compassion. Thank you for the cathedral bookstore and all that it does in feeding our souls. Thank you for the ministries of every person on the screen. Thank you for our spiritual journeys and all those who have mentored us. Thank you for leading us into fields of care where we were so surrounded by benevolence that our authentic selves could come dance be wild play and lead us as we now turn toward an evening of rest we pray that our sleep may be restorative the places where we abide may be places where we abide in you and in your love. And then wake us, we pray, tomorrow to be instruments of your peace and of your making a new heaven and a new earth. All these things we pray in the power of the Christ of love, who abides in absolutely everything you've ever created. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us. See you on May 19th. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks, everybody.
1: Love, love, love. And thank you, Ed. Bobby, thank you.